all companies are media companies. They just don't know it yet. So the the old days of you making commercials and trying to gain influence and persuade people and making impact on their purchasing and the decisions that they make, it seems to be almost over. So you might as well start to learn how to create content in a way that you can speak directly to your audience. Welcome back to the Think Media Podcast. I'm so fired up for today's episode where we're going to be talking about how to grow your YouTube channel, YouTube shorts, and learning from Chris Doe. Now, if you're just meeting Chris, he's an Emmy award-winning designer, director, CEO, and chief strategist of Blind and the founder of the future. I mean, we're talking over 1.5 million subscribers on YouTube, 12 million views a month on their channel right now, uploading videos daily, but also just a real businessman, a real entrepreneur, a real creative entrepreneur that has wisdom from every stage of the journey, building a company, building social media influence, helping and impacting people, coaching people. And I'm super honored to have Chris on the show today. Chris, how's it going? It's going great, Sean. This is a long time coming. I think we've been chasing each other on the table trying to play tag. The day is finally here. It is. And I am super pumped to have you on uh, the podcast today and grateful for the impact that you're making in the world. What you do um, is, is really powerful. And the future specifically is such a powerful brand, business, YouTube channel. It's a lot more than a YouTube channel. If people are just hearing about that, wh- paint, paint the picture of what you guys do on YouTube, but maybe start with like the vision of the, the company itself and um, what you guys are up to. Sure. Thanks for teeing that up. Our mission is very clear, which is to teach a billion people how to make a living doing what they love. And this is really critical to me because I now identify myself more as a teacher and the entrepreneurship is just kind of the icing on the cake. I'm really trying to make a difference in the world. I taught at Art Center for 15 years teaching sequential design, graphic design, motion graphics, and directing. But the problem with that is as much as I love that experience, it wasn't scalable and it was very limited to A, people who could afford to go to this school to live in Los Angeles And that meant a very small group of people. So I had this hypothesis. Could we teach this same stuff virtually at scale one to many? And it took a little while to find the rhythm to kind of understand how you teach online. And I just want to tip my hat to you watching some of your videos, figuring out like, God, this guy's smooth. He is so smooth on camera and he delivers so succinctly. I had to learn from that. And once I did, I started to find a rhythm and to build an audience. Man, so powerful. And I love the vision. Teach 1 billion people how to make a living doing what they love. And one of the vehicles you have chosen is YouTube. Why invest so heavily in YouTube back when you started? And would you recommend people lean heavily into YouTube with all the options out there today? What's the why behind YouTube? Simple answer is in 2014, I'm a social media neophyte. I don't really understand social media. I have accounts, but I'm not really doing anything with it. And I do what most people do. You post an occasional thing that you eat, something that you do with your family, some cool place you've been to. And so I do what everybody does and I commit the cardinal sin. And it was when I met my former business partner, Jose Caballé, who said, let's make some content on YouTube to help bring awareness to a course that we were teaching. Nobody knows who we are. Nobody understands the course. They don't even understand the problem. So reluctantly in 2014, at the ripe old age of 42, I say yes. 
And in doing so, I go on this crazy journey. It transforms my life. It transforms my business. And it realigned what my purpose is. Would I recommend YouTube today to anybody? Absolutely, yes. And the reason why is because of the powerful search engine. On most social platforms, the content you create is very ephemeral. It's there and then it's gone. Whereas YouTube, if you create the right kind of content, it can be evergreen. Videos that we created three, four, five, six years ago are still being seen today. And every once in a while we get really lucky, one of them gets rediscovered. Man, I love that. And that is one of our favorite uh, powerful attributes of YouTube. We believe it's the only platform or it really is one of the only platforms where your content lives forever. If you do it right, your content is like a fine wine. It gets better with age. Um, and as entrepreneurs, one of the most powerful things to embrace is leverage, right? We want to have a return on investment for our time. So if we can ask ourselves, what could I do today? that would actually give me more time tomorrow. YouTube can be uh, one of those uh, powerful platforms that does that. Do, are you aware of how many videos you have uploaded to the channel so far? Last count, I think is around 1300. So it's, it's quite a few videos. And what was the growth curve? Um, you started investing, like you said, kind of back in 2014, but was it instant overnight success or has it been like a snowball growing in momentum. <laughs> it's more like a snowflake that takes years to turn into a little snowball. So this path has been long and it's been arduous. But one thing I would love to tell all content creators is do it for the love. Learn to love to play the game, not for the championship trophy. Because if you do it for that reason, when you don't get the results that you're hoping for, you get discouraged and then you kind of drop out. So for me, more than anything, it was a journey on self-discovery about how to find my voice. As an introvert, it was very difficult to step in front of the camera. I was much more comfortable behind the camera. So learning just to do that, even being able to introduce myself and say my name and my title was a challenge at the beginning, but it's well worth it. It took us forever to get to 20,000 subscribers and 40,000, 100,000. But if you keep doing the work, you get better. You, you ask yourself this one or two questions. What did I do well and what could I do better? And you apply those lessons forward. Don't worry about the view count. Don't worry about the followers or subscribers. That doesn't matter right now. Just try to get better every single day and you'll start to, to realize the, the benefits of the compound effect. What did I do well? What could I do better? Speaking of that question, looking back now, um, what are some things that you wish you knew when first starting? This is maybe an invitation to share some of your tips for creating uh, content or just practical YouTube tips that you've learned in the journey. Um, maybe how you even get videos done or how you optimize videos. If I knew then what I knew now, this is what I would have done differently. What are a few of those tips, Chris? The first tip was would be to try to have the intentionality to make impact on people's lives. Don't go out there to pitch, to sell, to be overly entertaining. It's not a vanity project. Think about your audience, what it is that they need and how you can help them to bridge a gap. That means you have to be able to identify the audience to understand a challenge that they're having, an obstacle that is preventing them from going to the next level. The next level could be small or it could be big. For us, it was about helping creative people understand different strategies about pricing or how to talk about sales that is an organic way that doesn't feel like you're losing your soul. Once we figure that out, we can then figure out what is the best format to deliver this in. For us, we found great success in doing these uh, whiteboard or 
uh, flip chart uh, episodes where we can draw and we can diagram and it gives some visual interest for the audience to follow along. It is very difficult for someone to maintain attention, especially with this ADHD culture that we have, for a very long period of time without something happening in the scene. So talking heads or even beautifully designed keynote presentations are tough to watch. So try to have visual demonstrations, something that you can do with your hands so that the audience stays intrigued because you have to keep them if you want to reach them. Brilliant tips. And uh, man, holding attention is one of the big factors of YouTube, that average view duration, that audience retention, um, and considering how you can do visuals. Now, what is, it's kind of like asking the expert at design how important design is. But for those that are maybe new to Chris and listening to this just on audio, um, essentially his superpower, one of is is design. They've worked for Nike and big brands and uh, billboards, graphic design, their thumbnails and the aesthetic of their channel, of course, as they should be, are, are pretty incredible. Uh, Chris, how do you think that comes into social media, but specifically YouTube thumbnails, the visuals, aesthetic? Uh, what's the importance of that? I think the visuals are important, but I, I'm, I know I'm betraying my tribe by saying as a visual designer, as a graphic designer, as a director, actually the writing, the, the actual content, what you say and what you hear are more important than the way it looks. And I've, I think I've heard you say this before that um, high value content beats high value production. I 100% agree with that. So if you have an iPhone, if you have some junky camera, it doesn't matter. Make sure you're thinking through planning and organizing your content in a way that's going to make the maximum amount of impact on the people who are watching this. It doesn't matter if it's a podcast, a video, or an Instagram carousel. Think about them. Start with really good writing. I find that a lot of times when people create content on YouTube, they don't do the minimal amount of research. Just type in your topic, read a few articles to have an informed opinion so that you're not just making stuff up and it's not just opinion-based. I think that's where a lot of YouTube falls into this trap. Great advice. Now, I'm so excited to talk about YouTube Shorts. I've been watching, our whole team at Think Media has been watching what you guys are doing at uh, The Future. And we've been blown away because there's that one short you posted where you're having a conversation about pricing that is just going absolutely viral. Um, it's now your most viewed video on your channel, right? It has 22 million views at the time of recording this. The top three videos on your channel, you've been doing YouTube for like seven years plus, but the top three most viewed videos on your channel are YouTube shorts and YouTube shorts has not been along, uh, been around that long. I'm curious, what have you been learning uh, with YouTube shorts? Uh, we could go deep on this one. How, how heavily are you investing in YouTube shorts? Maybe take us through the story. Did you just start experimenting and get lucky with that video? Is there some intentionality? Um, what's your hot take on YouTube shorts? I want to give uh, credit where credit's due. I was having a conversation with Brian Elliott. He has a YouTube channel called Behind the Brand. And we were just talking and sharing ideas, what's working for us, what's working for him. And I love it when creators come together and share their secrets. And he said, you know, Chris, I'm not taking advantage of this, but you need to get on the shorts thing. He gave me some rules, some guidelines on what to do. Immediately thereafter, I called my team. I said, guys, we've got to get on the shorts thing, follow these rules, start looking at the content and cut it down. 
And so like, okay, how often do we need to do this? And I told them, just try to drop one a day. They're not that hard to do because they have to be under one minute long. And we would post videos and two or three weeks into it, the team, we had a, we had a call and like, Chris, do you want us to continue doing this? They're not really taking off. Now, here's the crazy thing. I think from day one to day 27 or day 28, the video is just moving along just like everything else on our channel. It took a little while for the algorithm to figure it out. And that video went bananas in four days. I think it hit 7 million views in four days. I'll tell you a funny story. I was calling one of my friends, talking to him. Hey, did you check out this video? I think it's gone kind of viral. It's got like 130,000 views. And he's like, mm, let me look at your channel. He's like, no, there's nothing here. There's one with 300,000 views. I'm like, oh my God, we have two hits right now. I go back, I can't find 130,000 viewed video. It had grown by from 130,000 to 350,000 in the two hours in which I looked away. And it kept going nuts. I've never had a video go like that before. We're happy when our videos hit 50,000 videos or views in a week or two weeks. This is unheard of and it's just going nuts. And I just keep looking at it and it's the craziest, coolest thing. That was for me, my Mr. Beast moment. I, I wonder, this is how it must feel to be Mr. Beast when you just look at your video go bananas in day one. Yeah, so it took a little while for it to take off. Man, that's incredible. And I mean, 22 million views already and continuing to, to grow. But I'm sure uh, listeners now, the the question burning in their mind is what were the rules that uh, talking with Brian Elliott uh, that he shared with you and what are some of the tips you can pass along for making great shorts? This is going to sound super obvious to anybody who's listening is like, Chris is no genius and I'm not. I just follow people's rules and I just apply. He said, make sure your video is less than a minute long because sometimes the YouTube machine adds a little overhead to the video. And if it goes one frame over one minute, it's not going to be considered as a short. So he's just keep it under. So he's like 59 and a half seconds, no problem. Uh, that's totally cool. He said, also, you have to use the hashtag shorts and then just go at it. And that's all he said. He just do it and do it for some time because it takes a while for the algorithm to pick it up. So what did we do? So here's some insight. If you go back into your archives and look at your highest performing videos and you look at the retention graph, it usually is a good indicator as to your editing team on what parts to pull out. Whenever you see a spike, someone's rewound it, watch it again. That's a good indication. But like many things, if you just take your hits and you make little hits out of it, there's a good chance that one of them is going to catch like fire. A couple other things I noticed about the videos that have performed really well. Usually, it's me saying something a little controversial that goes against conventional wisdom. I'm going to challenge a sacred cow to get people to turn their head. And it's emotional, and people are really angry sometimes at our shorts. They see this, and they're not saying very nice things. The trolls do come out, and it's actually really fun for me to read. So if you can touch a nerve and say something that challenges people's uh, the way that they see the world, it, there's a good chance they're going to tune into it. Well, wow, that's brilliant. We like to talk about having a polarizing point of view, not just to pick a fight for picking a fight's sake, but when it's a true conviction, um, getting people to stop. You like, I like that you said that. It's like trying to get people to stop the scroll, hang on that video. Um, and you've continued now to post shorts. Um, 
Do you have a current content schedule or rhythm or are you trying to, is it set in stone or at least written down on paper or in Slack or Basecamp or somewhere that you're posting a couple full length videos a week? Are you trying to do seven shorts a week? What's your current rhythm? The current rhythm is we're going to drop five shorts a week. We generally release them at 7 a.m. Pacific Daylight Time, Monday through Friday. Every once in a while, I'm experimenting with dropping one on the weekend because we have a huge catalog of shorts to drop. So I'm just trying to figure out the right cadence. We will drop two longer. When I say longer, it's like five minutes, 10 minutes long episodes on Tuesdays and Thursdays at 7 a.m. So when we do that, the shorts get bumped down to 9 a.m. And as far as I can tell, there is no penalty on how many shorts you can drop. So right now we're going all in on the shorts. It's helping our channel to grow in subs, uh, in views, in, in time watched, and also in revenue. It's very important to us. Let me put this in perspective. When I look at our subscriber graph, prior to using shorts, prior to any of this stuff happening, we're getting on average about three to 400 subs a day, which you know, a couple of years ago, I would be kicking and screaming and saying, this is freaking amazing. I'm so happy about this. But when the shorts hit, our subs grew by 1,500%. So we went from three, 400 subs a day to thousands of subs a day. At one point, I think we're hitting six or 7,000 subs a day and holding that over multiple days. So we're starting to smash past all of our sub, sub goals for the year. That is absolutely unreal. So you would say, is there any scenario where you would tell a listener to not be at least considering shorts right now? And what would you tell somebody who's on the fence? Like, will it, will it offend my current viewers? It's so different. These don't have thumbnails. They don't need thumbnails. Will it, you're a design guy. And I like that you said earlier, you know, kind of like practicality over, you know, the look of things because it sort of messes up the channel aesthetic on desktop. Uh, you know, what would, what would your advice be for people leaning into shorts when there's an hesitation there? I think like many things, give something a try and then reserve judgment for 30 or 45 days just to see. Uh, don't let fear be the thing that decides what you're going to do. And ultimately, you have to ask yourself, what matters more to me? To reach more people, to be able to gain an influence and to develop some authority over what it is that I do, or to have the the best design, best thumbnail channel that nobody's ever heard of. And if you look at it like that, then you're going to go for the results and the impact versus what it is that you want. At the end of the day, if you love a particular color and a particular typeface, but no one cares about that, you're, then you're just saying, I'm an artist. I'm just going to do it for me. And so, yes, you're right, Sean. The thumbnails don't even get seen on mobile. And so my team was spending hours making thumbnails for shorts. And yeah, it does affect desktop, but people are not really watching shorts on desktop. They're really doing this on mobile. So at that point, I said, I would rather spend the time and energy making better shorts than I would trying to design a thumbnail. Yes, aesthetically, it's all over the place. There's weird faces that I have. I'm like, I don't even care. If, if it gets watched and it helps people, that's at the end of the day what matters to me. Now, you mentioned that it also has increased revenue. Um, where does YouTube Shorts revenue come from? For us, certainly if it's viewed on desktop, there's desktop ads that can play. But on Shorts, are, are you familiar? And I don't know if I'm updated yet on if video ads play there or if YouTube premium members, you get a little bit of that revenue. Are you able to track that revenue? 
We are. Uh, the Because of the length of the shorts and how ads are working, you don't expect to make a lot of money or for any money at all. So that 22 million viewed video, I, I think we made a couple hundred bucks on that. Not a lot. But what it's doing is it's bringing in a whole new audience that has no idea who we are and they start to dig into the content. And that's really where we see the increase in revenue. So our CPM for our channel, I think is around $30 uh, per thousand views. And so... On a regular month, we can expect to do anywhere between nine to $12,000 in, in, in Google AdSense revenue. When the shorts started to hit and our channel started to spike, we got as high as $23,000 for a month. Of course, we can't maintain that, but if we keep at that trajectory, we're basically doubling our revenue. Wow, there you go. So I think you just hit a real powerful unlock point there. And it's the kind of entourage effect, the synergy of posting these shorts. You have some long form content. You've also, of course, built out a whole business model. And when it comes to getting awareness, building influence, meeting people you've never met before and 22 million views, I mean, that kind of speaks for itself. And even the long tail of that, I mean, a 10% result if someone had a breakout video would be like 2.2 million, 1% would be 200,000 views. That's a lot of exposure. And that attention can then lead to the other uh, videos on your channel or the other things that you're doing inside of your business. Now, in a second, I'm actually curious, and you've made a few references um, in this podcast about your team helping you and your team helping you with thumbnails. I actually want to talk about the team you've built around your YouTube channel in a second. But of course, many people are listening are like, great, Chris, you know, your team, you know, is helping you. Uh, I just I said, hey, team, let's do some shorts. And of course, that's the reality we're in at Think Media as well um, with 18 people on the team now and a couple different content creators. I know you've got different content creators. Uh, you know, personally, though, I started shooting videos in my bedroom. I started uh, editing, doing all, wearing all the hats myself. That's my journey and going through every stage of having a side hustle season where I had other jobs and careers, having the solopreneur season where I'm trying to build the business just by myself. And now we're in the scale season where of course there's others on the Think Media uh, team helping. Um, Chris, before we talk about the team aspect, what advice would you give for the solopreneur in terms of getting content done, leaning into YouTube, while maybe especially in your tribe, having to do the client work, do the freelance work, go in and clock in for their creative director job or whatever it is, and do this stuff on the side. What are some of your tips? Okay, tip number one is to try to figure out a cadence that works for you. This should not add additional stress for you. And if it does, you have to rethink why you want to do something like this, because that means that you're looking at the reward and this is now not a labor of love, it's just labor. And if you approach it with that mindset and if the cadence is killing you, you're gonna get stressed out and you're not gonna perform your best. So in the very beginning, our release schedule was probably two episodes a month and it wasn't anything that we had to go all in on. You wanna just put in the time to practice, to be able to be comfortable on camera. It is a weird thing, Sean, I know you know this, but looking into a piece of glass is the weirdest thing ever. That's not a human. There's no emotion. It doesn't laugh at you. It doesn't lean in. You just speak to something and there's zero feedback and it makes you feel really dysregulated. It takes some time to be able to overcome the awkwardness of speaking to yourself. In normal circles, people who talk to themselves are considered a little crazy. You have a few screws loose. 
So just put in that time and don't worry too much about trying to hit any particular metric. So when you're inspired, jot down some ideas. Keep a notebook of ideas so that when you're ready to make those two episodes, you kind of have something to draw on and it's not just a blank slate where you're sitting there asking yourself, what am I going to do today? Here's another tip I would give to you. You got to find something that people really care about. So there's the things you care about, but maybe you're a very unique person and no one actually is looking for that. So it's good for you to start reading and participating in other people's communities. It could be on YouTube. It could be on LinkedIn, Instagram, or Twitter. Find something that stirs people's emotions and see if someone has answered it in a way that's satisfactory. And if they haven't, that's an opportunity for you. Again, you're looking for those gaps in the marketplace, or maybe you have an idea to do it differently, a new and novel way of conveying the same information. Well, that's your opportunity there. So if you have limited time, make sure you spend it towards something that people actually care about and need to know the answer to. That's amazing. Find that cadence. Heather Torres on the Think Media team says, it's your race, your pace. And we don't all have the same extra time in the week. I mean, some of our jobs demand 40, 50, 60 hours, depending on what it is, maybe some overtime, salaried positions that have uh, a lot of very intense seasons, or maybe you can budget more time per week. What's that cadence so that you can experiment with YouTube shorts so that you can stay consistent with one upload a week or whatever it is. But of course, the goal and what we would recommend is that you start to figure out how to generate revenue from your side hustle so it can become your main hustle. And then eventually that you don't do this alone. Maybe eventually you get help with video editing. You maybe get a personal assistant or somebody that could take other things off your calendar, off your uh, to-do list so that you can focus on what you do best and scale your content. The future is uploading over this last month a video a day when you add all the videos together. So that's that's an intense schedule. And Chris, I'm curious, um, how do you have the team set up around your YouTube channel now? What roles and, and how many people are working on the channel? And if you could, maybe walk us through the seasons because there's maybe today, but what was maybe that initial team when things started to, you know, uh, kind of the 1.0 version. I mean, you guys are at scale or, you know, you're zero to a hundred now, like you're a video a day, the quality of the content, obviously the results you're getting. When I checked around 12 million views in the last month, which is just crazy results. So talk about the seasons of team and what specific roles you've put in place. Sure. I forget exactly how many people work for us right now. Maybe there's like 15 people or 14. I, I don't know. But the content team is actually a lot thinner than it seems because there's a whole nother side to our company where we're authoring courses and doing marketing. So I think right now we have three full-time editors slash producers who work on the channel itself. And we're running two YouTube channels. There's yet another YouTube channel that we're running. And between the three editors, they're editing content that mostly I've recorded, or perhaps Ben Burns or Greg Gunn, who might record an episode or two. They're more sporadic creators where I'm the consistent person pumping out the content. And so that's the team that's dedicated towards our YouTube channel effort. So it's about three or four people. Now, did we always have this? Of course not. It began with just mostly me and Jose. This is like our, what we'll call the year one, where a rookie season. And it was just us writing the content ourselves, doing the keynote. Um, at this point, I have a 
production company that makes commercials. So I'm just using the equipment and the team that we already have. So I'm borrowing from Peter to pay Paul kind of thing. So it didn't cost us anything really extra. We use the space and the cameras and equipment. And so that's how we're able to subsidize the launch of the future. Many of you guys may be in a similar position where you're a professional videographer, or maybe you're a sound recorder, something like that. So you're going to borrow some of the tools you already have. So you're not building this up from scratch and making a huge financial investment up front. And as, as we continue to become successful, we started out bringing on a volunteer somebody who really didn't have a lot of skills and wanted to learn how to create content, how to shoot, how to edit. They're passionate. Uh, The first guy we had, his major was in finance. And so then he wanted to become a cinematographer. And so he looked at like, hey, this is a great exchange in value. I'll give you my labor. I need to learn. I need to up my game. And so we began with some volunteers, quickly moved them into paying positions, and the team starts to grow. The first person you probably want to hire or to bring on your team is someone to do the editing. Editing can take a really long time and it takes a person to understand your tone, your style, and what's important in the content, not just technically, here's how you make an edit. Yeah. And what you said at that last part was gold. You said it takes a a person that understands your style, your tone, and the nuance of editing, it's maybe not enough to just be able to edit a video. We call them shredders if they can sometimes (laughs) help be a shooter, an editor, and a producer. I'm curious, out of the three helping now, if you were to give them one of your uh, workshops or lectures, it's 60 minutes long, you're teaching on a whiteboard, without any direction, would they pull out the best five minutes here, the best 12 minutes there, and think about the the hook, the angle, the title? Or is there a synergy where there is somebody that's kind of speaking into that and then they're executing on the edits? Um, that is a real art form. And so I'm just kind of curious about uh, do you do you coach and mentor in that? Is somebody overseeing and are you pointing people to parts or are they pulling those parts out on their own and doing every step in the YouTube process? They're doing most of the heavy lifting uh, today. I basically tell them I'm interested in doing this kind of thing. They'll ask me a few questions and based on what I tell them, they'll know how to set it up, what cameras, where to put them, what's moving, what's operating, what's static. And they pretty much know what to do. So the minute I walk on to the set and we have an office space, so there's multiple sets that we use, they're like, does this look good to you? And they know I'll be wearing a cap and they want to make sure the reflections aren't going to be a problem. So they figured out most of that. I might arrive on set and make one or two small adjustments, but then we just get going. And so they'll shoot and everything is good. One person's live cutting. Usually we're live streaming and they'll use that and export the EDL and then make the longer form like better looking cut based on that EDL. So we're trying to do as much work up front and being smart about how we do things when possible. And what they'll do is they'll cut the video together. There's an internal review process using frame uh, uh, Frame.io and the, the editors will look at it, they'll comment. They now at this point know exactly what it is that I'm looking for and how I want to do things. So I have very little involvement. Then it gets uploaded to the channel and this is like the first time I'll see it. I will figure out what the actual title is. They'll do their best to try to come up with the title, fill in all the descriptions and the links and all that kind of stuff. That's all done automatically. And then what I do is I design the thumbnail, I tweak the title, make sure it's something that people can find, and then I figure out when it's going to be released. Now, the shorts are all automated. They figured out the cadence. They know exactly which episodes to drop. I may make a tweak to the schedule here and there. But other than that, it goes on autopilot. Man, a couple questions out of there. One... Um, 
you do the title and the thumbnail more or less that's essentially the big idea that's that's the hook that's the kind of marketing angle that's the get attention angle is there a reason why i mean we understand the value of that do you um, maintain kind of creative control there because it's an art form because of the level of study you've done and and uh is that yeah what's kind of your vision behind being that final piece and how important is that title and thumbnail that you uh, take that stage? I think the title and thumbnails, everything, if you don't title it properly, the world's best video is not going to be seen. And what I do is I'm a, a very much a data driven person. So when a video drops and it's not hitting the numbers that I think it should be hitting, I look into the numbers. What is, uh, what is it called? The re Not the retention. It's called uh, impression click-through rate. And that's really important. So when that's not working, I think something wrong with the thumbnail, something wrong with the title, and I'm making adjustments in real time. I also think that as the person who reads and responds to every comment on all our social channels, me, I have a pretty good sense of what our audience is looking for. I understand their pain points and challenges. Sometimes the team can get lost in titling. They, they assume someone is already smart enough to know what the problem is, so they're searching for this very specific solution. So my general tip to everybody that's trying to figure out what, what title to call their videos, use really basic language like a fifth grader. Dumb it down a little bit because people who don't know the answer don't know the terminology. So make it simple, make it intuitive, and make sure you're checking this against what people are searching for to make sure that this is really what they're looking for. Amazing advice. Uh, secondly, to that, what you just shared a, a moment back around the process of even the shorts being published, I'm curious, that 23 million viewed short now is titled, Why Charging By The Hour Doesn't Make Sense. And I'm curious, um, was that picked out by your team? And was it just a moment that maybe was going to be solid? Did you expect it to go to go viral, if you will? Um, I guess what I'm asking is, um, did you architect that moment being turned into a short? Or was it just one of many and that one happened to uh, pop off? Um, I don't remember because the process is so fluid, Sean. I'm, I'm going to just assume my team came up with that title. Usually what I do is I read the titles. And I think to myself, if I'm an average person looking for a solution, is this what I would be typing in? And every once in a while, they, they get a little too tricky with the titling and they'll just change it. it could, because it's phrased in a way that I don't think anybody would type in to Google. I, I think you guys did a video on, on your channel uh, about auto-filling and just typing in things and seeing what people are typing in. And it's not always the language that you think it is. And I had a feeling that this video was going to do well because of a couple of things. It was cut down from already our most popular video, our most widely viewed video. So there's a good chance if we don't screw it up, it's going to be seen again. But I think the way this video was created was one of my editors grabbed some clips and dropped it on TikTok. And seeing how that performed, a different editor grabbed those same clips and brought them together, glued them back together to make a minute long thing. So there's a lot of testing going on here behind the scenes that's done more of an, on an intuitive level. Take your popular video, drop it somewhere else, it's working, take those videos back, glue them together and repurpose it, and there's a good chance it's gonna be a hit. You know how people like bacon and they like certain things like truffle oil? It's like if you know people like this, you put it in your sandwich, they're gonna like it. It's kinda like that. That's some Think Media Podcast gold. What's the most popular video on your channel? That's already proven. 
Uh, can you cut some clips out of it and use for shorts and even test those somewhere else on TikTok or Reels um, and and then potentially turn them into a YouTube shorts? That's an action item, Think Media Podcast. And I think that um, that's something definitely that uh, has proven to work for Chris. And I'm excited uh, to even share this very episode with our team because um, we have not quite done that yet. We haven't taken... We have a lot of quote unquote hits. And so to narrow some of those down and to chop some of those up, amazing advice, Chris, really appreciate it. Well, um, I, in a second, I'm excited to talk about some of your general advice for this next decade in the creative economy, um, uh, for your encouragement and warning and the mistakes people make as creative business owners. Uh, but one of the things I love about you is your commitment to always level up your learning. We believe that lifelong leaders are lifelong learners and you um, read a lot of books. In fact, you wrote a book, Pocket Full of Do, uh, and Dough, I should say, Pocket Full of Dough. And um, People could get that. We'll put that in the show notes as well. You could tell us a little bit about that. But I'm curious, what books do you recommend for creatives and entrepreneurs that would help them specifically with online marketing and YouTube growth specifically? Okay. Um, I would recommend a couple of marketing books because we're in the marketing space. I think you can't go wrong by picking up a Seth Godin book. I loved This Is Marketing and Permission Marketing, and All Marketers Are Liars. Those are three really good books. You don't need to read all of them, but those are pretty good. A lot of people like Alan Dibb's book, The One-Page Marketing Plan, because it puts together a step-by-step process, and people like that. Some people like uh, Donald Miller's book, Story Brand, and any any books around storytelling or, or branding. Uh, right now, I'm finishing up Kendra Hall's book, Stories That Stick, wonderful book about how to tell stories, and she's an amazing, gifted storyteller, and it's very practical and pragmatic. Two other books I'm going to recommend, and, and this is based on my belief that good writing trumps good design. So you, you need to learn to write better. But it's not about writing a novel. It's just about learning how to write punchier and more succinctly and to communicate more clearly. Neville Medora's book, this book will teach you how to write better. Excellent resource. You can read that book probably in an hour and a half. It's very thin, very few words, and it's awesome. I'm also reading Joseph Sugarman's book on copywriting and the copywriters, um, the, the guide to copywriting or something like that. Uh, those are excellent books too. We, if we study the people whose livelihood depends on getting people to pay attention, namely people in advertising and copywriting, there's a lot of lessons you can learn, including how to title your episodes. Man, I knew you were going to bring the fire with some recommendations there. And we will summarize that um, Think Media podcast listeners in the not just the show notes, but we'll make like a kit.co of that as well, uh, because it's a question we get a lot. Um, and tell us a little bit about your book. Um, I actually just ordered it and I saw it looks beautiful. Not only is there, of course, you bring the design aspect to things, um, but tell us a little bit about it and how that could help uh, those listening. Yeah, the the book is actually just um, our fans, our audience saying, uh, this would be great if you can just put your ideas into a book. And mostly it was just from tweets. But tweets, as you know, are pretty short. And so I was struggling with this. And I started to collect together, uh, and this is just me using data, my highest performing tweets. And that was the foundation of the book. And the book is broken up into different chapters about pricing, about communication, about mindset, uh, about negotiations. I I forget now what, what all the chapters are. And I started to write. Now, being a designer, I felt a little insecure about my ability to write. So 
each page is paired with a beautiful graphic that was designed by my designer to kind of marry the idea conceptually, visually, and then it's paired with just one page. I, I look at it like this. If you're looking for really bite-sized pieces of information without a lot of fat on the bone, that's my book. My complaint about how many authors write is they have a central thesis and then they just tell that over and over and over again. I'm relatively smart. I get the idea. I don't really want to read 55 stories that say the same thing, but it seems like a lot of books are written this way. So I want to take the opposite approach. There's a, a bunch of different ideas that are organized in a very specific way, and it very much comes from my philosophy, and it gathers together all the different things that I've read and have influenced me in one single volume. Man, uh, I can't uh, wait till to crack and do it myself. It's in the mail for me right now. And I would highly recommend um, Thick Media Podcast, checking it out. You know, one of my filters for who I like to learn from is those with proven results, with proven experience, with depth of wisdom. We believe that wisdom's the principal thing. Um, and so with Chris's experience in film, in design, um, with working with huge brands, with getting punched in the face as an entrepreneur, with uh, all the ups and downs, um, definitely worth your while and super inspiring. It kind of reminds me of, um, I love the book by pa Paul Arden's books. Yep. Uh, yep, like that are a little bit, they're refreshing uh, because they sort of bring some big ideas off the page. Any other books top of mind? I'm just as a personal question. You could any. What are your top five books personally about any topic that have really transformed your life? Uh, life, Chris. You know, you might not know that off the top of your head, but you can give me as many three to five. Okay, I can do it actually because I've made a list and the list keeps getting edited because I read a new book. I'm like, I got to bump one book off the list. So number one, Jim Rohn's book, Seven Strategies for Wealth and Happiness. I think that's an incredible book. Number two, I just finished reading this book and I think it knocked somebody else off the, the list there. The One Thing by Gary Keller. The One Thing by Gary Keller. A book number three, I would probably recommend somebody read The Brand Flip by Marty Neumeier. I think it's an excellent book. Book number four, The Win Without Pitching Manifesto by Blair Enns. Excellent book, reframes your whole thing about price and uh, how you position yourself in the marketplace. The fifth book is The Coaching Habit by Michael Bungay-Stanier. It's a poorly titled book because I'm not looking to be a coach, but what's in it is a framework of six or seven questions that I think are beautiful, and he explains the importance of why questions matter because they empower people, and you can be seen as a greater authority, as more helpful, as being more generous if you just learn how to ask better questions. Oof. And I ordered, I still need to crack into it, but I got the coaching habit when I heard you talk about it on Clubhouse. And so um, I'll tell you what I'm doing after this podcast, Chris, is I'm heading to Amazon and uh, I'm buying every book you recommended. Um, it's a new decade. And as we land the plane today, especially because you have your pulse on creativity, um, you consult big brands on what's happening with demographics and psychographics and how to stand out in the marketplace. And as an expert in the context of this podcast, um, you are incredibly effective on social media and YouTube. What do you foresee uh, for the future of social media and YouTube over the next decade? 
Wow. Okay, that's powerful. So we're seeing a trend move towards influencers and micro influencers being the gateway to audiences and demographics. And I think big brands are already seeing this because we're starting to see more money move into this space. And I, I've said this before, but I don't think everybody's hearing what I'm saying on this part. All companies are media companies. They just don't know it yet. So the, the, the old days of you making commercials and trying to gain influence and persuade people and making impact on their purchasing and the decisions that they make, it seems to be almost over. So you might as well start to learn how to create content in a way that you can speak directly to your audience. And we really believe in this. This is a biased opinion. I'm just going to throw this out there. That if you want to sell to more people, you have to learn how to be a better educator. You have to teach people about your products or services. If you're a nonprofit, you need to teach them about the impact that you're making in the world, the difference that you're creating. And I think that's what really matters. So everyone that is a company, whether you're a service or product-based company, you need to learn how to tell better stories. You need to understand how these platforms work and create content natively on each platform You don't need to dominate all of them, just a handful. Find a home base and then build out from your home base. Wow. And as we maybe pivot that question, so powerful as far as your insight is um, for the creative business owner, many people listening maybe are just getting started in in the early days maybe just get it, you know, like we were once where we're like, I hope this works, um, you know, one day at a time, like the, I'm in a, I'm in a garage right now, bootstrapping this whole thing together. Um, for the journey ahead in this, and we really believe this next decade is going to be the d- best decade in the creator economy. As you mentioned, influencers, micro influencers, the world is wide open to lean into that, but it's not going to be without work and without challenge. What encouragement, warnings, or advice would you give creative business owners for the journey ahead? Wow. I can give them a lot of different advice. Can you help me to narrow that question down a little bit, Sean? So let's go warnings. Um, what kind of warnings that maybe you've had to overcome that caused you to lose profit, lose time, um, get distracted. What are maybe some pitfalls people could fall into that could hurt their growth specifically of trying to build their influence on social media. Wonderful. Thank you for clarifying that, narrowing it down for me. My biggest warning for anybody who's creating content, whether you're a multi-billion dollar corporation or mom and pop with a grocery store or a restaurant or something like that, which is don't try to take any of these shortcuts. They will hurt you. Don't try any of these growth hacking bot things where you're trying to grow really, really fast in a, in a way that's not organic and real. And there are many people who will take your money and do these things and give you the results that you ask for. But later on, you're going to realize that these people were either bought or paid for, and they're not really there for you. The best kind of audience begins with a true and authentic relationship with your audience and your community. You show up for them, they will show up for you. If you do this consistently over time, they get a sense of who you are, your personality, but it builds trust, which is the key to your brand. Trust is everything. And so it's hard to earn, and it's easy to lose. So don't be in a rush to get to your results. Just show up, do the work, hire a few smart people to coach and teach you, and just follow the plan. And everything will work out if you stay in the game long enough. 
the Chris Doe. Man, such valuable wisdom. Listen, people need to follow you and connect with what you're doing, um, especially on Instagram, the future, your personal account. I, I swear on the future, I think I, I click save on every post because you make these carousels that are so rich in value, your personal Instagram as well. Shout out some accounts and anything that uh, we can connect with in the Think Media podcast community to follow you and continue to learn from you. Thank you. Uh, you can find me on most social platforms. I'm at the Chris Doe, and Doe is spelled D-O. I'm on Instagram, I'm on LinkedIn, Twitter, YouTube, of course, everywhere else. And the company, the the, the media company that I run, is called The Future, and The Future is spelled without an E. It's F-U-T-U-R. So if you search for The Future, also on social media, especially on YouTube, you'll find us there as well. Brilliant, Chris. Well, I appreciate you so much. Thanks for taking time today to pour into us and uh, we will talk soon. Thanks, Sean. Are you ready to start or grow your YouTube channel? Do you feel stuck and need help connecting the dots? Join this free web class where you'll learn the step-by-step playbook for YouTube success. We've helped thousands of purpose-driven entrepreneurs just like you grow their influence with video. Register today for this exclusive training at thinkmasterclass.com.